Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where, as usual, I, your rabbi, remain solemnly dedicated to revealing how the world really works. And uh, Susan Lappin and I are still in Jerusalem. We're in the middle of the second week of the war that broke out with a Hamas attack across the fence in Gaza on Saturday morning, Shabbat morning, October the 7th. Uh, We were uh, having breakfast this morning at our customary uh, cafe uh, uh, in in Jerusalem when uh, we became aware that at the table next to us Um, There was a father and a mother and three grown children, two daughters and a son. Um, One of the daughters had two of her children, little kids with her. The other daughter was alone and the son was in uniform of the Israeli Defense Forces and carrying a rifle. And uh, you know, there's a lot goes on in Israeli cafes, and uh, it's it's almost impossible not to hear what's happening at other tables, even if you're not deliberately trying to eavesdrop. And it it wasn't long before we both realized that uh, the young man had been mobilized, called up. He was literally leaving now on his way to join his unit, and. Um, the, the his two sisters and his parents were saying goodbye to him and uh, and filled with worry and concern there was there was a heaviness in the ear in the air um, you could tell that the sisters were trying to smile and, and keep cheerful but their eyes were red and um, and dad was was putting on a, a strong face and uh, mother was just um, Every now and then she'd put her hands to her face and start shaking. And uh, they they had their breakfast. And uh, after the breakfast, they said a grace after meals. And then the, um, they, the, the, the son got up and the parents and everybody got up to embrace him. And the sisters embraced him. And then the, the little nephew and niece embraced him. And then... Um, mom embraced him and she 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 just couldn't let she couldn't leave him she was she just had her arms around his neck and she just couldn't let go and then eventually she did she looked into his eyes and she made herself smile and uh, she said something new which which we couldn't tell but then his father embraced him and then his father stepped back a foot put his two hands on his son's head and you could tell he was giving him the Aaron priestly blessing of, you know, may God watch over you and guard you and make his face to shine upon you. And um, and then they hugged each other one more time and the young man walked across the cafe, down the steps to the sidewalk and um, down the street to the bus stop and he stood at the bus stop for a few minutes and a bus arrived and he waved one more time and off he went. And um, before uh, before he left, um, Susan went up to him and um, and just said in Hebrew, may God watch over you. She, she used a biblical verse, may God watch over you when you come in and when you go out. And um, you could tell that that uh, meant a lot to them. And uh, that was just a little scene that that played out during our breakfast this morning. And as you can imagine, it left us um, very, very moved. And meanwhile, um, the Israeli army is mobilized on the border of Gaza, has been for a week already. And um, it's 
become very problematic because there's a limit to how long a tiny country like this can keep a quarter of a million men plus uh, mobilized and out of the economy. These are reservists. Um, and so uh, everybody is extremely tense and very worried. There is a growing sense that the price of the Biden administration's support and uh, President Biden's visit to Israel today, there is a sense that, that we're picking up from the people we talk to, some of whom are somewhat in the know, others less so. Uh, there is a bit of a growing awareness here that um, the Biden administration is restraining Israel from a full ground invasion that would finally, ultimately, rid the world of the scourge known as Hamas. Now, uh, dear happy warriors, um, I think it's important to get up to the 30,000-foot level and look down at the landscape. You do not need me to tell you the latest news. You don't need me to detail the horrors that were inflicted on over a thousand Israeli citizens that uh, who were butchered on October the 7th. Um, you don't need me for any sensationalist accounts of what's happening. Um, you don't need me to do any analysis of uh, the current condition of Israeli mobilization. But if we went up to a high altitude and looked down upon the landscape, it becomes helpful, I believe, if one understands that since its inception, Islam is a force. It is a religio-political force whose intention is to bring the entire world into a state of common belief. Now, you know, there was a time that Christianity also felt very strongly about spreading the gospel, if necessary, even by sword. One thinks of periods of time during the Crusades, but nothing, nothing compares to the fury and diligence and intensity uh, with which Islam wishes to supplant all other belief systems and bring everybody into what they consider to be the true faith of Islam, faith in Allah. I also just want to clarify for you that uh, the notion of the three great Abramitic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, is complete nonsense. That is what I call unadulterated bilge water. Um, while there certainly is a biological connection between Arabs and Hebrews, between Arabs and Jews, um, there is not a philosophical one. Uh, Yishmael left the Abramitic fold. And number two, even more importantly than that, whatever faith, Isaac, uh, Abraham's son, Isaac's half-brother, Ishmael, adhered to, we have no idea, because around about the 7th century, Islam under Muhammad spread and became the faith of the Arab peoples. And from there, it was spread usually by force. And so what's really important to understand is that the war going on right now in its second week has nothing to do with land. Pay absolutely no attention to foolish politicians and, uh, and uh, Pollyandra-like uh, uh, pundits who, who think, well, this is two nations fighting over the same piece of land. No, uh, you've got to remember that when the Arabs massacred the Jewish population of Hebron in 1929, uh, there was no state of Israel. It's never been about land. It is about two competing faiths. Now, I know that some of you are going to say our rabbi has taken leave of his senses. How can anybody believe in the year 2023, well into the 21st century, 
anybody is taking religion that seriously? Well, I must tell you that one of the fatal flaws in Western thinking is the triumph of secularism and the presumption that since the Enlightenment, religion has been in retreat. That is not true. And uh, Islam has almost never wavered in its determination to bring the whole world into what they consider to be the true faith. Never wavered. And that's always been what this is about. And um, you've got to remember that the culture of the Quran has been at war with the twin civilizations of the Bible, that's Judaism and Christianity, of course. And this goes back at least to the time when Charles Martel stopped the Islamic advance up the Iberian Peninsula. They, they jumped from Western Afri Northwest Africa, Morocco, across the Straits of Georgia. They conquered Spain, uh, converted every Catholic church into a mosque, and um, proceeded to move upwards to conquer Europe from the West. The idea was only to spread Catholicism, uh, to spread Islam. The intention was to bring all of Europe out of Christianity, of which it grew as an echo, and uh, turn it into an Islamic Sharia true area. Now, it goes without saying that how Islam failed in um, 732, you could say they are now succeeding in France and in Germany and Italy and in Norway and in Sweden and in several other countries. Uh, but let's not jump ahead. In um, 732, having conquered Spain, having conquered Portugal, they moved north to start taking over France. And the French hero, Charles Martel, uh, battled them on the border of France and Spain and stopped their advance. Um, they tried from the east side. They captured Constantinople in 1453. Um, they attempted to take over Europe from the sea by a huge Muslim fleet. And they were beaten in the famous naval battle in the Gulf of Lepanto in, on October the 7th, 1571. October the 7th, that's right. I do not believe that the choice of October the 7th Saturday a week ago for the attack on Israel was chosen just because it was 50 years in a day since the Yom Kippur War or because it was a Jewish biblical festival being celebrated throughout Israel. No, these guys have got long memories. And this is one of the things that faith gives you. Jews also have long memories. Christians have long memories. Uh, Christians speak constantly of, you know, what would Jesus want you to do? That's 2,000 years ago. But yes, religious people have long memories. Secular people tend to contract time to only the present. The future doesn't matter. The past is irrelevant. I'm having a good time today. And yes, that is secularism, very often indistinguishable from paganism, indistinguishable from hedonism. But uh, in, in a sense, you could say that uh, secularism plays very little role in this titanic struggle we're watching today and have been watching since the year 732, the titanic struggle between Islam on the one hand and the Judeo-Christian civilizations on the other. Um, don't forget uh, the attack on America on September the 11th, 2001. Why was that? Why September the 11th? I don't think there's any question. Uh, it was the date of a huge defeat, humiliating the Islamic world, inflicted on the Islamic forces at the gates of Vienna 
on September the 11th, 1683, when the Christian armies basically put an end to the Muslim dream of attacking Europe. And they got as far as Vienna, make no mistake, all the way up from Istanbul, from Constantinople, all the way to Vienna. It was, it was an incredible feat of military prowess. But Christian armies rallied and uh, sallied out to confront the uh, Ottoman armies, the Muslim armies, September the 11th, 1683. Um, the uh, United States, the newly born United States, decided to put an end to the Barbary pirates, Muslims that terrorized the Atlantic and the Western Mediterranean. And finally, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur put an end to them in 1804. And it's, you know, you can name every other attack since then. Uh, you might remember U.S. Army Major Nidal Malik Hassan killed 13 soldiers on America's largest military base in Fort Hood, Texas. And that was November the 1st, 2009. And um, and so it goes. This is not mindless terrorism. This is not rootless and pointless. No, we're going to get absolutely nowhere unless we understand that from the Muslim perspective, there is a great deal of point to this because they want to and believe in the necessity of imposing Sharia law on the whole world. By contrast, Jews and Christians share a common vision of civilization, and they much prefer it to its alternative, which is barbarism. You know, it's, um, it's, we only have a little time, and so uh, I can't go through a complete depiction of the distinction that cuts between barbarism and civilization. But in general, civilization prefers ballots to bullets. It prefers voting to violence. It prefers conversation to confrontation. It prefers that men treat women with respect and deference. It prefers freedom to a centrally planned tyranny or tribalism. It prefers people enjoying economic independence through their own efforts. It prefers order and peace to anarchy and chaos. It believes in charity by choice rather than in government redistribution by force. It believes that marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman devoted to one another and to their children. It believes in societies built on the basis of common belief rather than the tribal model of common blood. Civilization believes that both the beginning and end of life should be in God's hands alone. Civilization engenders friendship and beauty and compassion and courtesy rather than brutishness, cruelty, filth, vulgarity. I would make the argument that all the qualities that have sculpted the glories of Western civilization, skyscrapers, skyscrapers, cathedrals, great parks, beautiful cities and boulevards, all of those have sprung from the pages of history's most majestic volume, the most published book of, the, of all of history, the Bible. And... Uh, I would, I would take a look, you know, the five F's that I constantly teach on, the five F's that have now finally come out in our new book called The Holistic You. Please go on Amazon and just order the thing or go on Barnes & Noble and just order it. It's so central, it's so powerful, it's so important to understand the five F's, it's so important to implement that set of principles, what I call the 5F project, into your life. But it's not only in your life. The five F's also help us understand the difference between civilization and barbarism. 
think of finance. Should we look at that first one, finance? Okay, um, this, this, this is a time where there is a feeling of impending financial Armageddon. There is a lack of understanding of what's happening with cryptocurrency. There's a lack of understanding in ways in which tyrannies are now demonetizing private citizens, how it is that banks are being encouraged, if not forced, to debank individuals and organizations that don't toe the line. There are threats to the primacy of the American dollar. The American dollar, to the enormous advantage of America, has been the world's reserve currency since right after World War II at Bretton Woods, when the pound sterling, the British currency, was replaced with the dollar. Well, what goes around comes around. And many people, many thoughtful people, are now planning for the United States dollar to be replaced by another currency. I won't say, on a, on a previous show, I've told you which one I think that is likely to be. But uh, at this time, all I'm saying is that all of these things are happening. And we should therefore explore what exactly are the underlying cultural characteristics of the West that created so much wealth in the first place. So let me, let me try and suggest some of them. One of the most important things that has generated the wealth of the West and has been a connected population that trusted one another because of a common moral system, yes, based on Judeo-Christian values. Um, a connected population that trusted because there was something called property rights. Where did property rights come from? They came from the book of Genesis, where we find Abraham determined to purchase the land, not just to bury Sarah anywhere as he was encouraged to do, but to purchase the land. This is a biblical civilization way of doing things. When the um, pilgrim settlers in North America in the 1620s wanted to build a settlement, they bought the land from the indigenous Indians. And the Indians had no more understanding of this than the sons of Chet had when Abraham tried the same thing in the book of Genesis. Because the whole idea of ownership of land is fundamentally a Western Judeo-Christian Bible-based concept. It's not natural. Animals are natural, but animals don't own land. People own land. Um, an understanding of the spiritual nature of money. I've, I've taught a lot on this, I've written a lot on this, I've spoken a lot on this, so I don't have to um, expand on it in this show. You can go back to earlier uh, thought, uh, earlier podcasts if you don't know what I'm talking about. But these and many other aspects made it inevitable that capital markets in the history of the world only arose indigenously in Christendom. They only arose in Christian countries. Um, the concept of a corporation emerged in London and Amsterdam. The concept of a, of a stock exchange only in Christian nations. Yes, today, of course, today we have uh, stock markets in Beijing and Bombay and Bangkok, obviously. Uh, in the same way, by the way, that Beijing and Bombay and Bangkok have adopted exactly the same kind of bathrooms and banks that we find in Boston and Baltimore and Berlin, right? Bathrooms and banks, Western concepts of hygiene and cleanliness won out. The rest of the world liked it. And so they adopted our approach to finances and our approach to cleanliness and hygiene. And that's why if you would have gone to a bathroom in Beijing or Bombay or Bangkok 200 years ago, you know what you have see, would have seen. 
But today, you go into bathrooms anywhere in the world. Everyone has adopted the Western concept of waterborne sewage. It's a different approach. And so uh, you look at finance, you'll see that finance and all the underpinnings that made it possible, um, capital, stock market, understanding of money, property rights, all of these sprang from the church and the synagogue. The, um, altogether, the creation and adoption of currency, do you know how, what a breakthrough that is? Right? In Germany, it was called the Thaler, by the way, T-H-A-L-E-R, short for what today we call a dollar. Um, and uh, the link between the Jewish diaspora and early banking, the reason the Rothschilds created a banking empire, um, and so on. Much, much more on this I could tell you about in, in Europe and early America. But, yes, civilization has a certain financial vision. Barbarianism does not. Um, faith. It is biblical faith that made it inevitable that over 97%, and I've, I've told you this so many times, 97% of scientific, and technological, and medical advances shall we say, between the year 1500 and 1900, came from Christian societies, and by the way, predominantly from Christian scientists as well. Isaac Newton, a devout Bible-believing man. We will show how all, all of this, I, I want to explain, sprang from three events that transformed the Bible from, shall we say, an ecclesiastical monopoly, as it was under early Catholicism, into the life guide of millions of human beings in Western Europe. One, number one, translations of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek and Latin. There was a huge breakthrough. Huge. And some of the early people... Tyndale and, and others who did it were, were oppressed very badly because it did take away centralized power from the church. And so uh, translations of the Bible started happening 1300s and 1400s. And then in 1450 comes the printing press. That's the next big thing. And number three, 50 years later, not disconnected in my view at all, the Protestant Reformation in the early 1500s. And um, these are the factors that historians like Neil Ferguson claim made Europe leap ahead of China. The cultural, economic, political powers that sprang from the faith of the Bible crossed the Atlantic and gave birth to American Christianity and uh, the American colonies. So I've spoken about how civilization is based on a certain understanding of finance and a certain Bible-based understanding of faith. Let's talk about family. You've got to be able to see that one of the crucial underpinnings of what we think of as civilization is the normative family as the basic unit of society. The family has its origins in the Bible. That's why, to this very day, in both Europe and America, the bastion of family are religious communities. Christian and Jewish religious communities provide the basis of family. That's where you find today why you, where you find family the strongest. Marriage and having children, today almost exclusively the province of religious families, religious societies. And so, uh, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to see the impact on civilization that the biblical understanding of family brought about. It's not hard to see. You've just got to see that Western civilization begins to grow and thrive and prosper as it adopts the biblical model. 
And it's also easy to note, by the way, I mean, it's something each and every one of you, if you have any interest at all in reading history, you will see how the decline of civilization, the collapse of civilization, the impending extinction of civilization always seems to parallel the decline of the family, the growing social acceptability of homosexuality, uh, the growing acceptability of uh, adultery, um, the diminishing of marriage. It's, it's clear to see that cultural and economic benefits of family drove Western success. It's clear. Friendship, once again, understandings of friendship spring from Judaism and Christianity. It's, you know, it's not all that clear that of the many thousands of cultures around the world, perhaps 5,000 of them, um, the, there are some very strange ideas of friendship, very strange. But friendship that has been at the root of social relationships in the West, civic organizations, even treatment of women, all of that springs from a correct understanding of friendship. And then the final one, of course, fitness. And uh, on this one, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I will tell you that um, the idea that life has value, right? That's part of fitness, right? Keep my body healthy because without my body, I don't stay alive and staying alive is important, that is not a part of Islam, for instance. And uh, this week, for the second time, I was told and shown writings of Islamic spokesmen who speak about as much as Jews or Christians love life, we love death. We value and honor martyrs who gave their lives to spread Islam. It's a different approach. The whole idea of life-saving organizations, they're Christian in origin. When there is a devastating earthquake somewhere, where there are horrible natural disasters, who do you see there? You see American ministries. You know, what about the huge number of Muslims around the world? Why aren't they sending organizations to help save lives. Even when there are earthquakes like the bomb earthquake in Iran, it's Western organizations that fly in to bring relief and help. Why? Because of a biblical understanding of fitness. So, um, so let me go back to, to bathrooms and bankings, if I can, all right? Um, and again, I mean, not, not to be vulgar at all, but after the world had the opportunity to compare civilization and barbarism, the world pretty much chose, right? I don't have to tell you what bathrooms looked like in Bombay. Well, today, bathrooms in, and you know, I, I like the alliteration of just saying Bombay and Bangkok and Beijing, but they could have been anywhere in the undeveloped part of the world. Today, They've come to resemble exactly what banks and bathrooms look like in Boston and Baltimore and Berlin. Western civilization, and I should tell you this, Western civilization's trappings are lusted for by the entire world. But barbarism desires the good life of Western civilization, but wishes to annihilate the mother that gave it birth. Do you see what I'm saying here? Right? The Hamas terrorists who broke into Israel, they used paragliders. Where did those come from? Were those invented in uh, Bangladesh? They used drones to neutralize forward Israeli uh, observation posts. Drones. Were drones invented in Somalia? No. All of these things come from the West. And barbarism loves the things that the West produces. But it still wants to kill the mother, Judaism and Christianity. 
that gave birth to the West. The real question, of course, is will the West ever recover the spiritual fountain of its own original success? Will it ever recover the vitality of a living biblical faith that would allow civilization to flourish everywhere? Or, to be utterly dismal, will barbarism ultimately triumph? And, as civilization gives out its dying gasp, its ruins will become occupied by squatting barbarians that enjoy the remaining rubble as far superior to anything that they could have built for themselves. I, um, I want to encourage you, my dear friends, happy warriors, not only uh, should you go ahead and really make a serious investment in the five Fs, go to your favorite bookstore and get yourself a copy of The Holistic You, integrating your family and your faith, your finances, your friendships, and your fitness into your life. The book's called The Holistic You. Go ahead and get it. Um, on the RabbiDanielLappin.com website, look for an audio program called Clash of Destiny, decoding the secrets of Israel and Islam. That'll take you on a deeper excursion into some of the things that we're talking about today. And um, please, it would be so helpful to give you perspective on what is going on in the Middle East right now. To really get this overview, what I call the 30,000-foot overview, you've got to understand that this is a titanic struggle between civilization and barbarism. That's what it is. And you think of the 20th century. Think of Hitler and the Nazis. They were determined to obliterate all vestiges of the Bible simply by exterminating those who lived by it. They started with the Jews, yeah, that's true. But they had no intention at all of ending with the Jews. Um, I have studied many of the biographies of Adolf Hitler Conrad Haydn is very clear. Alan Bullock is very clear. And uh, what they all say is that for Hitler, Christianity was an evil religion fit only for slaves. And Hitler publicly vowed to root out and destroy the influence of the Christian churches. He called them evil, that is, gnawing at our vitals. And you've got to see World War II was really a battle between the hideous bestiality of the barbaric Nazis and the God-centric civilization that was England and America. Look, if somebody showed you pictures of soldiers bayoneting babies and asked you whether they were American soldiers or Nazi soldiers, don't you think you'd intuitively know the answer to that question? If someone showed you pictures of men decapitating babies on the afternoon of Saturday, October the 7th, 2023, and asked you whether they were Muslim terrorists or Israeli soldiers, don't you think you'd intuitively know the answer? You may, you may not want to admit it, but I think you'd kind of know. If somebody showed you people destroying, breaking the windows of thousands of homes and businesses in November 1938 to such an extent that that night became known as Crystal Night because of the millions of shattered panes of glass. If somebody told you that, do you think you'd have a guess whether that was perpetrated by Nazi stormtroopers and Nazi mobs? Or do you think it would have been perpetrated by Mormons, members of the Latter-day Saints Church? Seriously, I mean, is, is that hard to answer? 
It may be an uncomfortable thing to answer, but you've got to be able to recognize the difference between barbarism and civilization. Really. Um, gosh, if, if somebody said to you, um, some activists cut the throats of airline stewardesses and drove airplanes into buildings, murdering thousands of, of civilians. Your challenge is, was this done by Roman Catholic theologians or by Muslims? Think about it. Hard question? If it is a hard question for you, then you are suffering from a profound moral deficiency. And like any other kind of deficiency, it kind of needs treatment. You've got you to know. And so um, I, I really do believe this is a time for Jews and Christians to stand together worldwide to do whatever we can to proclaim our commitment to civilization. And what that means is we've got to have the moral courage to denounce barbarism. You know, when, when I hear people saying, oh, I, I want nothing but peace. I, I want to protect the lives of Gazans and Israelis. That takes no courage at all. That's nothing but uh, massaging yourself with warm butter. Because a moral position always takes courage. It's always uncomfortable. The fact is that in any war there are two sides. My allies and my enemies. Again, not hard to understand. So either you don't think there's a war, in which case there's not two sides. Or you realize there's a war, but you don't want to take sides. And that's morally deficient. Right? I mean, how about uh, when the Hutus... Uh, murdered about a million uh, Tutsis in Rwanda. Well, hard to take sides, hard to see who the bad guys were. Shouldn't be. And really, the only people who I expect to have trouble with this level of nuance, which is not particularly hard, are people who've spent more than a couple of years on an American university campus. The moral confusion that is caused, that people are infected with by spending time on a university campus, is almost incurable. So, um, if if this, I mean, if this is something you have any interest in in joining the struggle, then go ahead, and now might be a time to open your hearts and make a small contribution to the American Alliance of Jews and Christians. Go ahead. You go to aajc.org, aajc.org, American Alliance of Jews and Christians.org, and um, go ahead. Support the alliance. Support Jews and Christians standing together, standing up for civilization, and being willing to denounce barbarism as something that at the end of the day makes lives short and brutish and horrible, as Thomas Hobbes wrote in the middle of the 16th century in his book, The Leviathan. You know, and once you understand clearly, once you get this, that uh, this is a battle between barbarism and civilization, Hamas is on side of barbarism. Civilization is represented in the present conflict by the people of Israel. You've got to see that Hamas is not, this battle is not going to be solved by negotiation because Islam is willing to die. They have a word for it. It's called jihad. Hamas does not want a two-state solution. Its charter calls for the destruction of Israel and the erection in its place of an Islamic state. This is not the ordinary kind of conflict that you might find in Sri Lanka, where you can settle it by splitting things down the middle. 
the Hamas Charter explicitly says, the Islamic resistance movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement. By the way, no Arab was ever called a Palestinian. No Arab called himself a Palestinian before 1948. Uh, whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam obliterates it, just as it has obliterated many others before it. So um, you, you've really got to see things in terms of, well, black and white here. It's really not hard to see. It's barbarism and civilization. And the idea that um, we should be nuanced about this, well, it depends. This is a sign of effeminate Western intellectual timidity. It is a mark of an utter failure of any kind of moral virility. It should not be hard for us to understand. The war going on right now in a second week, or it's just another battle in the ongoing struggle between barbarism and civilization. It goes back all the way to the 8th century, and it hasn't stopped. There have been periodic recesses. There have been short interruptions. But there's never been an end to the Islamic vision for complete domination over the civilizations of the Bible. In the audio program I just mentioned called The Clash of Destiny, you can read about it on my website, okay? Go to rabbidaniellappin.com. You read about The Clash of Destiny, uh, decoding the secrets of Israel and Islam. Um, you will see how the spiritual, religious, philosophical vision of barbarism, and oh yes, it has one, no question about it. The spiritual and religious vision of barbarism spread from Nazism in the 20th century to Islamic Jihad in the 21st century. And I show you in that how if you look at Hamas training camp videos, you will see them doing the Hitler salute. And even more importantly than that, I explain how certain characteristics of barbarism, for instance, a tendency to, to see a, a connection between sex and death. And I, 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 do, I can't do it now, but I do it in full length in the audio program, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. But exactly what we saw in the philosophical core of, of Nazism, captured so beautifully in the musical dramas by Richard Wagner called The Ring Cycle, which Hitler sat through for many, many, many times, even though it's about a 17-hour enterprise, where we see this conflating of life and death, sex and death, sex being an expression of life, obviously, we find exactly the same thing in visions of Islamic martyrdom. What do young men who try and die blowing up people of the civilization, what do they dream of? What are they, how are they being rewarded? With death? That's right. The 70 virgins of the afterlife. And many, many more examples of how we see that, yes, the spiritual and philosophical vision of barbarism traveled from the Nazis to the Islamic Jihad. And uh, this is all laid out very, very carefully in uh, the um, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. Go and take a look at it at uh, rabbidaniellappin.com, and, uh, and I think you'll be astounded. Um, remember, if you would like to make a gift to the American Alliance of Jews and Christians, that's the aajc.org. And uh, finally, do yourself a big favor and begin to master the power of the five Fs in your life. 
by simply getting the uh, program. It's called The Holistic You, and it's available at any bookstore. The Holistic You, integrating your five Fs. Happy Warriors, these are unusual times. Uh, Susan and I are uh, in Jerusalem at, the very, at this very moment, and um, I'm not sure when exactly we will return at the present time, but uh, we would like to see uh, peace. And when people say violence doesn't solve anything, they lie because violence always solves something. Violence always resolves something. It was uh, the firebombing by General Curtis LeMay of Tokyo in uh, March 1945, months before the atomic bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, it was firebombing of about 60 Japanese cities that uh, utterly obliterated Japan's war-making potential. Yeah, it was violence. It was um, uh, Allies' violence on places like Dresden and Nuremberg and Berlin. Yes, the, it's tragic, but when barbarism attacks civilization, the only response is a full-throated, comprehensive, uncompromising attack on barbarism otherwise civilization flounders. And I sadly remind you that the last war that the United States of America won was World War II in the middle of 1945. That was the last war that America won. Let us hope that civilization and those that stand for civilization will rally themselves and determine to combat barbarism with everything at its disposal. Because if not happy warriors, things will look grim indeed for us, for our children and our children's children. Because history has shown that a triumph of barbarism, God prevent it, history has shown that a triumph of barbarism cannot be put right for hundreds and hundreds of years. Darkness will settle down over the world and the forces of satanic evil will prevail and be in charge of all our lives for hundreds of years into the future. The only hope is the triumph of civilization. And that is something that each and every one of us, every happy warrior, can pray for with all the devout fervor at our disposal. Meanwhile, do not lose sight of your family and your finances, your faith, the faith that produced civilization, your friendships and your fitness. Until the next time we are together, I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.